This is the FCPS show about fan-owned club FC Pinskau Saalfelden. We're back and we've brought some members of the board with us for today's episode. Welcome to the FCPS show. We know it's been quite a while since you heard from us and what with FC Pinskau's footballing activities at a standstill due to COVID and now due to COVID plus winter and the huge amounts of snow that that brings with it in the Salzburg region, it's not always been the easiest time to keep up to date with the club's activities and with no match action expected now until March and the players not even allowed to officially train together we thought that the best way to kick things off again for the FCPS show would be to go right to the boardroom. So for this episode with me, Tom Midler, and with Lee Wingate too, we were joined by the interim president of fan-owned club, Steve Paris, and by fellow member of the board of directors, Trey Fitzgerald. We know that some fan owners have already had the chance to talk to the board and ask the questions that you wanted to ask. And there are more fan owner calls scheduled with the club in December of 2020. But to really build on that and offer some insight that anyone and everybody can have access to, we had a really nice open chat with Trey and with Steve about what's been going on at the club this season behind the scenes, how Trey and Steve have experienced all of that firsthand and where fan owned club is heading. And we started off talking to Trey. My background consists of 25 plus years in uh, professional sports, mostly media, marketing, um, almost all of it in soccer with either the league office at Major League Soccer in New York or the last uh, 14 years prior to my involvement in this project um, in Salt Lake City with Real Salt Lake. But I also have experience with Denver Nuggets of the NBA, Las Vegas Outlaws of the XFL, the ill-fated American football uh, joint venture between NBC Sports and the World Wrestling Federation. So uh, a lot of fun uh, experiences have taken me all over the world. But um, a few months after I left Real Salt Lake uh, while living in Salt Lake City, that's when I was introduced to Mark Ciociola and he proposed the whole fan-owned club concept and, and indicated he had identified Pinsgau um, as an opportunity, um, in May of 2019, Mark and I visited Saul Felden. It was the first time he had met the founders. It was uh, my first time in Austria. And, uh, you know, I've been lucky living in Utah for 15 years, thinking that there were not uh, more beautiful mountains or, or more beautiful canyons and valleys, etc. But I, I would uh, I would wager that the, the ones in and around Saul Felden and Salzburg and Munich, et cetera, are, uh, are just a, a tad nicer than, than Utah. So uh, it's two of the most beautiful places in the world. Immediately fell in love with Saulfeld and immediately fell in love with uh, Christian Ziege. He and I just uh, really bonded over how uh, the business side and the sporting side of an organization should work for the benefit of the fans and the community. And uh, he loves the whole fan ownership concept. So uh, I was uh, ready to jump in, and instead of moving to Saul Felden in 
roughly December of 2019, which was the plan at that time. Uh, I've, I've, I moved that timeline up and, and relocated to Salt Felden in uh, July of 2019. So unfortunately, I've been stuck back in the United States due to COVID and uh, cannot wait to get back to Salt Felden. Thanks, Trey, for a quick introduction. And next up, Steve Paris. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Steve? My background spans several industries, mostly in general management and marketing. Um, but I have a long, a long-standing interest in sport and sport management. I actually have an undergraduate degree in sport management and spent a few years in recreational sport before going back to business school and joining the corporate wor- world. For most of the last 20 years, though, that's where I've lived in the corporate world. And when I met Mark, I, I guess it would have been a, almost two years ago now, it, it rekindled that interest in sport uh, when he told me about fan-owned club and, and uh, you know, I got involved from there. Outside of fan-owned club, I, I live in Nashville with my family, two, two beautiful daughters. and. Uh, you know, we, we enjoy living in Nashville versus Minneapolis, where I moved from, where the winters are, are short and the summers are long. So um, my role with Fan Owned Club, I, I was a co-founder, and right now I'm helping to lead us to the next place and the next phase in, in Fan Owned Club's development. We heard there about the project almost rekindling your love of sports, but what other aspects of the project excited you? I like to build, Tom. Um, You know, throughout my career, I've gotten the most excitement out of startups, turnarounds, and and shaping things and and bringing them in a new direction. Uh, I'm not necessarily the guy that you want to uh, run a business if the goal is to squeeze as much juice as possible out of the lemon. I really like to create and build. And so this idea, which connected my passion for sport with building something that felt unique and new to the world it, it, it felt like it was something that had to be done and once i heard about it it was something that i i couldn't get out of my mind truthfully and it was an itch that i felt like i had to scratch so i had the first conversation with mark about fan owned club in february of 2018 we kept in touch uh and i guess seven eight months later later that fall i uh, you know i said hey i'd love to be involved with this if, uh, if you'll have me. He was making some progress and uh, I became the first investor. We, we met up in Salt Lake City uh, in a hotel room actually and uh, over two or three days banged out a business plan and started to go after it. And so that was something that I was doing on the side. We, we met Trey, we uh, founded Fan Owned Club in March of 2019 and then I started working full-time on Fan Owned Club in, uh, in May of 2019. But as I said, it was, it was an itch that just felt like it needed to be scratched and something that needed to be done. I know that both of you, Steve and Trey, were, were quite heavily involved in the, in the project in those early days that you've talked about. Obviously, a lot of the fan owners will be familiar with the fact that earlier this summer, you stepped back, both of you. Perhaps you could both tell us a little bit about why you decided to do that and, and what the reasons were behind that. Yeah, um, it's a hard topic, but I, I think um, both Trey and I put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into the business. We were fully committed to it. Uh, Trey obviously moved his life over to Austria. Um, myself personally, 
you know, I think we achieved a lot up to May 1st of 2019. And, and I think what we did was, was perhaps somewhat improbable. We had created this thing that I think a lot of people believed in. We, we owned a soccer club and we were having tremendous success. Uh, but I think as it became apparent that maybe our vision for fan-owned club and how we would get there wasn't fully aligned with Mark. And, you know, you might describe that as irreconcilable differences. I personally felt like I was starting to get in the way and slow things down. And it made sense for me to, to step away from the business. I thought it was in the best interest of fan-owned club to give Mark a chance to execute and realize a vision that uh, no longer was as, uh, as aligned with mine as, as maybe it was or I thought it was when we started. Yeah, for me, it was uh, similar. Um, there was just some philosophical differences, I think, between how I felt a club should be run, how fans, owners should be treated. I had helped bring many, many people, as had Steve, into the project, either on an investment level, a labor level, um, a promotional level, etc. And I think as seeing best practices in, in certain ways rebuffed or rejected or just uh, constantly battling uh, to have some of these uh, people or ideas integrated uh, became frustrating to me. I was already frustrated by being isolated, I felt, uh, due to the COVID restrictions between uh, American passport holders like myself and returning to Austria. So I was uh, stranded, if you will, in the, in the U.S. And uh, I thought it best just to let Mark kind of go his way with the project. And um, then three months later, uh, roughly three, four months later, um, the founders called Steve and I, and, and they had had their share, I guess, of irreconcilable differences uh, with Mark as well. So there was changes at the, at the GMBH level within the club. And uh, Steve and I were, uh, asked to re-engage and, and I think we both jump back in with both feet because we believe in the concept. Uh, we both feel an obligation to everybody that we've attracted to the project. You put it in your own words as investing a lot of you know blood and sweat into this project. First of all, what was it like then watching that from the sidelines over those few months where you, you stepped back? And secondly, Trey alluded there to, to coming back in. What was it like? Did you find the project in a in the in the condition that you thought it was, or did you come back and you know it was is as you expected, or were, were there some surprises there? What was it like coming back to the project? Don't forget the tears. There's blood, sweat, but there were tears <laughs> as well. Uh, that's absolutely true. You know, for me, it was a very hard decision to leave, and um, when we were asked to to meet in late September. Some of the things we heard were, were quite a surprise and it was a bit of a shock. As Trey said, we, there's a massive sense of obligation to all the people that we got involved. And I was surprised and disappointed to see where things were. Uh, and I wanted to see if I could, could fix it and, and, and to help. And so, you know, I started making phone calls and talking to fan owners and talking to folks who had been involved in the project, either were still involved in fan owned club or had been involved at various points along the way. And what I heard back when I described the situation was almost universal 
continued support and belief in the vision uh, and a recognition that while nobody was happy at where things were, to start up business, there are bumps and bruises along the way and the idea that things did not go completely as planned and were not smooth wasn't a, wasn't a huge surprise to the people that I talked to. So with their support, uh, you know, it made sense to step back in and say, hey, there's enough people that still believe in this to, to uh, try to move it to a different place and to, and to try to reestablish ourselves on the path that we had started very successfully down, I think, in 2019. Uh, so we had some work, immediate work to do, and we still have work to do. But I think we're making really good progress to getting ourselves back on track, um, you know, recognizing that, you know, uh, we, we've got some things we've got to do. We've got people that we owe uh, merchandise to, hoodies to. There's cleanup here. But I think the vision remains solid. And I think a lot of people are still very committed to that vision. I certainly would not have come back if I didn't feel like that last part was true. Yeah, I mean, I'll echo obviously a lot of what, what Steve said, but for me, my time away from the club, um, I, I felt disengaged from the business side, but I was in touch with many, many of the figures in Salfeld and you know, who had become very, very close friends and confidants with Christian Herzog, Siggy Kynes, Herbert uh, Brunlinger, the, you know, the founders of the club, as we refer to them. Um, you know, Christian Zige, uh, when Dennis Karimanovich had his knee injury, that was devastating to me because I was very, very close with him. Um, He's one of the few players on the team that, that, that my dog Lobo would, would embrace at practice instead of uh, confront. So, uh, um, you know, there's a lot of those kinds of things that uh, were happening on the field, you know, and there were people on both the FOC side and people in Salfelden that, that, that we stayed in touch with that, um, you know, really wanted, wanted us back involved, wanted things to move either more quickly or into a slightly uh, what, what we all felt was a better direction. And, and so those months were hard cause it's, it's just difficult to kind of watch something, uh, that you love be, um, in the wilderness, so to speak, either for your reasons or, or for external, uh, reasons. So, you know, the lack of success the team was having on the field in the fall was, you know, we can theorize about that because, you know, we were effectively denied uh, a promotion campaign in the spring due to the virus. We were denied what we felt was a place in the Austrian Cup in the summer. At the time, they were uh, extremely, I guess, hurtful uh, to us that, that we were not able to kind of try to fulfill that promise uh, that we had worked so hard for in the fall of 2019. Um, you know, and sports is sports. You know, it's hard when you lose a Pablo Ruiz or an Andrew Brody or some of the other players, you know, Stipo got injured. You know, there's there's just so many things that, that happen in a season, in a campaign that um, can have a kind of a domino effect and, and take you away from where you want to be. But um, we're here now. We're excited uh, to get back on track and uh, and hopefully the world can return to a little bit of normalcy here in the spring.
when we got into this, this was a long-term plan and we did not expect to have the success that we had right out of the gate in 2019. And we're back where we started, but not hugely far off what our original plan was. It's hard to remember that and it's hard to, to remind ourselves of that, but it's because we got out of the gate so fast. All that tells me is that our original vision and our original idea can be achieved. Uh, we were very close not very long ago. Uh, we got to get back on track, and I think we can. Something I think that's really nice that you mentioned there was these ups and downs, really the same ups and downs of being a fan owner, knowing the players personally and not just getting to celebrate moments of success with them, but also knowing how that feels when a player like that gets injured, somebody that you have a relationship with. So not just on the playing side of things, tell us about the Austrian founders of FC Pinskau Saalfelden as well. Uh, what's your experience been like with them and what kind of relationship do you have with the, the Austrian founders of the club? One of the most exciting aspects of the partnership between a fan-owned club and FC Pinsgau is is the international nature, right? And you guys see this every day as uh, Brits in Vienna. You know, we're the Americans in Salfelden, and we're all trying to kind of open up the eyes of the world uh, to this project. And we have players from all over the world. I don't need to name everybody, but, you know, I think the founders – um, this has been a labor of love for them for, I think, the 11 years prior to, to Fanon Club's involvement. We all have ambition for the club, not just on the sporting side. That's, that's the most obvious place to, you know, kind of ascribe uh, future dreams. But um, on the business side and, you know, the fact that, that you guys were able to provide commentary and podcasts surrounding uh, and other content surrounding our competition for all the, not just Americans, but, you know, we've got investors, uh, fan owners from Singapore, from Japan, you know, all over the world. So, and it keeps growing and growing. And that's, and that's, that's the bright side of social media. I mean, I, we spend a lot of time talking about the toxicity of social media, but the bright side is just the way we can have people from all corners of the globe rally around this club and this concept uh, for a couple hours on a typical Saturday in the spring or the fall. Now, it's been a long time since we've had a typical Saturday. And I think, um, you know, hopefully, you know, there's a light at the end of the tunnel and we can all get back to those days. But, you know, when Christian Herzog, Siggy Kynes and Herbert Brunlinger first asked Steve and I to get back involved, I think that was a, was a, very warm, genuine 90 minute phone call where there wasn't a lot of time spent complaining about what hadn't happened, uh, maybe as expected over the previous three or four months. It was, okay, this is where we need to go. And these are the things we need to do to get back to kind of the core vision for what the concept would provide locally in Salfelden, globally in terms of a unique in investment opportunity. And then as Steve and I, uh, as you guys know, that we constantly harp on or preach about is, is that fan owner experience. And uh, how do we amplify that? How do we augment that? How do we deepen those emotional uh, connections? And that's, that speaks to the long-term vision that, that, that Steve 
mentioned earlier that, that we all have for the club, but the warmth between the founders and ourselves, the trust, um, the shared commitment. And it's not just the founders, it's people like Isa and Hannes at the club. It's, it's, it's Jan, it's Christian Ziege, it's Max Mariucker. It, you know, I can go on and on. There's, there's too many people to name, but what is amazing to me is the number of people on both sides of the Atlantic that, that volunteer dozens of hours uh, per week to the betterment of this, of this project and, and trying to fulfill, you know, the ambition that we all have for Pinsgau and for FOC. You know, the founders have been fantastic. Um, Chris and Ziggy Herbert, what they have done is, you know, this isn't just a, a men's third division team. It's a club. There's a, fifth division men's team, there's a women's team, there's the largest youth program in the area. Um, they built that, but for them, part of the appeal for fan owned club and the vision that they were presented with was this feeling that they had taken FC Pinsgau Selfelden as far as they were going to be able to take it. And they had taken it quite far, but they wanted to do more and so the idea of of bringing in fan owners bringing in expertise was compelling to them but we have to also recognize that very fact that they had taken it as far as they could come and it's a complex business with a lot of moving parts with a lot of volunteers as trey said so the idea that we didn't get this relationship and the processes figured out right out of the gate shouldn't be surprising and one of the things that didn't go well the first time around is partly because we were focused on as trey said some inconsequential things in the outsized success that we had out of the gate maybe some of the processes some maybe some of the governance and some of the the, the business communication wasn't nailed the way it needed to be and we've started to correct that we went from probably irregular event focused uh need focused type conversations to weekly meetings with those guys as, as part of what uh, what is called the Varine, which is the not-for-profit that technically owns the license to compete. Uh, there are right now five of us on the board, Trey, myself, the three founders, and there's a couple other people from the fan-owned club side that typically participate as well. And we're, we're, we're starting to get this right, but the path isn't quite grooved yet and we've got work to do. But I think the support and trust is there and that's where it all starts. You've mentioned earlier on in this conversation that obviously there was probably some overachievement in that first season. It's been a bit more difficult on the sporting side of things this season, perhaps not achieved quite the number of, of victories and, and the current placement in the table that, that was targeted. I know that you guys are more involved on the business side of things, but what do you put those sporting struggles down to and what's the plan to sort of turn those around going forward when the, the play hopefully resumes in the spring? Christian Ziege is our North Star, right, on, on everything on the sporting side, as, as he should be, based on his pedigree, his accomplishments as a player, a manager, and a sporting director. So everybody on the Brine, um, on the FOC board, et cetera, we all have the utmost faith and belief in, in Christian and his staff. I think it's a fine line, and as you guys know, as lifelong football fans, there's just a couple moments in each game that can turn the tide one way or another. And it seems like 
you know, for various reasons. There were a few games where one mistake completely victimized uh, the 90 minutes. As I mentioned earlier, you're, you're missing some dynamic difference makers that we had on loan from the U.S. in, in Pablo Ruiz and Andrew Brody, Josh Hurd. I also think it was um, the fall season was, was a little bit bizarre. And again, all the teams in the league had to deal with this. So like a lot of adversity, it's, it's equally distributed. It's just how you respond. But I think coming out of uh, the spring lockdown, the quarantine, the disappointment of, of not being able to play in the, in the promotion round, I think those things all, along with the changes in the team, the, you know, I do think the early season injury to Dennis was, was massive. You know, Alessandro was hurt for a little while. You're trying to integrate some new players that had come from other systems. And um, there were distractions both on and off the field. And, and again, every team has those. Every team in every sport and every competition has those. So I think that the future is still very, very bright for this technical staff this roster. Our charge is to get the ship pointed in the right direction on the business side and be able to look at the next three transfer windows and try to go out and find those players domestically and internationally that make sense for our club, uh, that makes sense for, for the style of play that Zige wants to espouse and try to get back to where we were and um and i think that's that's the goal i mean we we have other longer term goals for the women's team for the b team for the academy as well i think there's a lot of opportunity over the course of the next five to ten years for pinsgau to really take an innovative leadership role in the overarching soccer football development um, in the region. And much of that would be, I think, fueled by how we represent the club, how we um, expose the club in the U.S., in North America, and around other parts of the world. So Steve can pop in here before I, before I am guilty of uh, of, of trying to run before we can walk, but, you know, there is a lot of ambition um, surrounding the sporting side of the club, not to put too much pressure on, on one man, but there are second and first division clubs in Germany that monitor our games either over video streaming or in person, simply because of Christian Ziege being the manager. And that gives players that come into our club a lot of opportunity. Yes, Pinsgau, we miss Pablo Ruiz, but we are very proud of the success that he's gone on to have in Major League Soccer uh, in the U.S. And he just got a, a, a new contract, extremely lucrative for, you know, for a young Argentine player. So those are the kinds of success stories that we want to continue to cultivate. Yeah, I mean, as, as most people know, if I am opining on what's happening on the pitch, we're in a bad place. Uh, that's, that's not my area. But as I think Trey alluded to, there's just a lot of low-hanging fruit, and one of the big challenges that we have, and every business has, but especially startups, is matching up the right opportunities to the resources at hand and picking the things that you're going to go after and doing them well. And I think 
one of the mistakes that has been made is there is so much potential here and there's so much opportunity that we were probably trying to do too much and to do too many things at once. We need to pull back, focus on a few things that we can do well and start to pick them off. And, you know, maybe the most obvious example is we haven't gotten merchandising right in the attempt to provide a very high quality, authentic, branded FC Pinsgau uh, experience through, through the gear and through the store and through the investor perks. We built a process that was unnecessarily complex and was, it has been very difficult to execute on. Um, we have to ship merchandise <laughs> back and forth across the pond in order to get it right. And it's not, it's not simple, it's not easy, and frankly, we have not executed on it. And so things like that are unacceptable. We have to fix that. We have to get people the things that they're owed, and we need to do it in an expeditious way, which we have not yet been able to do. And we shouldn't be worried about some of the other low-hanging fruit until we can properly execute against the things in front of us. But, that, but that's the challenge. That's a challenge, and it's part of the excitement, because if we were sitting here saying, this is the best that we can be, and there's nowhere else to go, then it wouldn't, wouldn't be much of a project. But I think we always have the challenge of staying within ourselves, as my high school basketball coach used to say, playing within what we can do at that moment and not trying to be more. It's great to have the ambition. We need to have the vision and the roadmap, but we got to keep our, our eye uh, firmly on the ball that's in front of us right now as well. And we haven't, we haven't always done that. Steve, you've talked about some of the things that you perhaps haven't been able to execute quite in the way you wanted to over the last few months. You've named merchandising specifically. What are the immediate priorities going forward over the next couple of months? Yeah, it's a good question. I think first and foremost, we, we have to get back to basics. To use an American football analogy, um, we've got to get the blocking and tackling right. And so, you know, with merchandise, uh, we have our inventory that's on our way over. It's on its way over to the U.S. Um, we've got to uh, match it up against orders. We've got to identify what we have, what we don't have, what we do about it. And we've got to reach out to every person that placed an order, as well as every person that um, hasn't received an investor perk and identify a course of action. I mean, that's, that's pretty basic, but that does actually take a significant amount of time. Um, we have, uh, a, like I said, a, a group of dedicated folks working against this, but no one's getting paid. Everyone is part-time and it, it takes some time. There's a lot, a lot of I's to dot and T's to cross. As far as the shares themselves, we have paperwork on all the shares, but not all of our shareholders have uh, uh, an account where they can see them registered with our transfer agent. Uh, our transfer agent's Court Connects, and we need to make sure that everyone uh, can see what their holdings are and can know that they, they have them and they've been registered with the SEC and they can be secure in their knowledge that they actually have a, a legitimate investment. So those are basic things that need to be done. As we look at going forward, you know, we've got a, a, a team and a roster that uh, needs to be solidified for next spring. We have a campaign, our founders campaign, uh, which will be wrapping up January 15th. So we have, I, I guess, about five more weeks to bring in fan owners who are interested in being part of uh, the founding fan owner group for uh, what we're doing here. Uh, we have um, to start 
planning for really what we expect to be the, our, our next bite at the apple next summer. Uh, we're working with a group out of the UK on strategic planning to uh, help us align both the story and the business plan with the ambition. And uh, we have a team, as I said, that right now is largely part-time and volunteer. We need to formalize the structure and the leadership going forward and, and, and make sure we're, we're uh, set up to succeed. That's going to take a little bit of time, but uh, we are making good progress. And I, I guess in line with what I said about the fan owners, when I reconnected in end of September, early October, I have been really humbled by the support and belief that so many people, and, and we're talking about very talented, experienced people who have been willing to roll up their sleeves and help. It's amazing. I think there's a lot of people that still believe in the vision and uh, we're excited to go after it, but it is going to take some time. And, that, and I know that's incredibly frustrating, especially because from the outside looking in, some of this just seems so simple and basic, and some of it is simple and basic. Uh, but we've got a little bit to unravel and unwind before we can uh, make everything whole again. And we're, and we're working to do that now. You talked about the community of fan owners that we've got and, and people who've invested in the club. You know, there's a really fun community. There's, there's places you can get involved with that as well. There's the minority report, the, the calls, there's the fan owner calls with you guys as well. You know, you can speak to the players, you can speak to people behind the scenes at the club. This podcast is just a chance for us to, to open some of those questions out to people, but the fan owners have had this chance as well to, to say what they want to say and, and they will continue to get that say. So can you just tell us a little bit more about the WeFunder campaign? You know, you mentioned that this, the founders campaign is closing in around about five weeks from the time of recording. So mid-January, if you're listening to this a little bit later, is when, when that uh, initial run for, for people to actually invest in the club and join fan-owned club and FC Pinscal right now, that's sort of coming to an end. And that's, that's quite a big deal, I think, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, what we're trying to do here I'm not aware of anyone that, that's trying to do quite what we're trying to do. And I, I would describe that very simply as uh, there's a fan experience here. There's an owner experience here, right? Um, fan experiences are really common. You can, I mean, these days you can follow just about any team in the world uh, remotely. And, uh, you know, if you want a deeper experience, join a supporters club, uh, get season tickets, whatever. Those are common. But when you look at an owner experience, if you're not like Trey with years of experience in a front office, if you're not a wealthy um, person who can afford to buy a club, you don't get a look at what happens behind the scenes. You don't get a boardroom view of what happens with sport. That's what we're trying to provide. And, you know, as, as we go forward, it's these founding fan owners that give us uh, not the fuel to do that, but the ideas uh, as to what we need to be. So we're, we're starting to communicate more and communicate differently. I think in the past, what we've heard is, you know, we communicated the things that clubs normally communicate, and it was mostly good news. We need to not be managing so many messages, and we need to be transparent and authentic in conversations like this and monthly fan owner calls that we'll be starting about what's going on behind the scenes and give fan owners an opportunity to be involved where they're willing to, where they're able to, where they have expertise. And so a lot of that will be rolling out, um, including a, a process. We need to fill out our board of directors and, and we want fan owners who are interested to submit or nominate people to be part of uh, that. 
so those who are on record by mid-January when our founding campaign ends will have an opportunity to be part of that. And it's, it's exciting. It's not fully defined. It won't be perfect. But like I said, we're building something. And I think it's a very cool opportunity to be part of defining something, which to my knowledge is pretty unique out there. I think it's, it's definitely a very cool opportunity. And, you know, it's something that Lee and myself were, we were both really excited to get involved with too. We're fan owners. We were excited by, by how different this is. And I just wanted to, to take things back to Trey. You mentioned Brody, Ruiz, guys like this, that I, I think a lot of fan owners started engaging with FC Pinscout and with Fan Own Club when they saw what these guys were doing. And now you did touch on it briefly earlier, but, you know, Pablo Ruiz has gone back. Uh, he secured himself a great contract, but not only that is, you know, we, we're seeing him scoring these wonderful goals in the MLS and, and these are great moments. And I think everyone at FC Pinsgau and, and at Fan Owned Club can be really proud with, with what's happened there. So obviously the season's like very stop start and, and we're already looking towards next year. Maybe this season won't even carry on, but is there, is there a kind of a, a plan in place to add some of these difference makers and, and is FOC looking out for its next Pablo Ruiz as a, as a kind of proof of concept that this works? Yes, I think, um, you know, and I neglected to mention uh, Andrew Brody actually earned a Major League Soccer contract as well. He just wasn't uh, playing this fall uh, like Pablo was. But the first and biggest step that we've taken in recent months on the competition side, I think, has been to add former Jamaican international Andy Williams uh, to our board. And, and the expectation is that uh, Andy Williams, who had a long career as a player in Major League Soccer, played in the France 1998 World Cup as a as a 18-year-old for Jamaica. He's been a, a coach and a scout at Real Salt Lake, a Major League Soccer. We expect him to tap into his extensive global network of agents and, and players and coaches to help find uh, opportunities for young up-and-coming talent that need to spend 6, 12 more months uh, with Christian Zige and his staff. And hopefully we see results on the field in Pinsgau and potentially in the future of those players' careers on the level of success that Pablo Ruiz and Andrew Brody had as those uh, two guys have gone on to earn a Major League Soccer contracts. So, you know, there will be additional resources, obviously, put towards uh, the sporting product as, as we grow. Um, you know, the mitigating factor, I think that everybody is still – learning how to navigate and it changes every day is, is how clubs uh, deal with the pandemic. And um, it's been unsettling to say the least in 2020 for everyone around the world um, in this industry, uh, on and off the field, on and off the courts. And I think it's going to bleed into 2021. Nobody knows exactly how, but um, because of the commitment that everybody in Austria, everybody in, in North America has, and, and because of how we are all, I think, inspired and emboldened by uh, the promise uh, that we've made to our, to our fan owners, we are constantly searching for the best solutions to the different types of problems that come up every day. Can I pick up on that a little bit? Because you had mentioned proof of concept, and I, and I think that's really important because while we have not, we're not quite where we'd like to be right now um, in, in terms of that trajectory that we had first seen, 
we have proved some things and, and, and we'll, if you go down the list of some of the things that have happened here, they're quite extraordinary. You know, you talked about Pablo and Brody. We've proved that there is an opportunity for the right players to come in and develop in Austria uh, and further their career um, through an association with Ziege and through an association with Pinsgau Selfelden. We have proved that um, adding just a few of those players can have a substantial impact on um, what otherwise is a, a solid core team there in Austria. We have proven that there are people in the internationally in North America and beyond who actually are interested in uh, soccer in Austria and in soccer in a place that many of them had never heard of before. Uh, beautiful Selfelden. We have proved that when we drive success on the pitch, even with international players, that the local community will support that. And we've proven, and largely through your help, Tom and Lee, uh, that you know, we can deliver a high quality fan experience for a remote product. Uh, is that all that we need to do? Absolutely not. But that's pretty extraordinary if you look back at where we were just 12 months earlier. And certainly if you look back where we were 18 months earlier, when we didn't have a team, we didn't have a coach, we didn't have a relationship with Real Salt Lake, we didn't have any fan owners, or, or very, very few. I think where we've come in a short time is remarkable. Uh, we have more ground to cover and more work to do. But, um, you know, there's a lot of solid proof points here to build on, I think. One last question then to, to finish off. You've talked about the fan owners quite a bit in this call and obviously they're such a central aspect of, of what we're trying to do here. Do you have a, a message for the fan owners? Because obviously they've been so committed throughout this whole process. They, you know, due to the pandemic, they haven't actually had any football to support from, from October and probably until March now, but their commitment has been unwavering throughout. So do you have a final message for the fan owners that are listening to this podcast? Yeah, I guess it's two part. One is stay with us. We're going to get back on track. But I'll also say it's not going to happen as quickly as we would like. And so there's going to be some patience. This is a long-term vision. Uh, we have to get the blocking and tackling right. We will. Uh, it's going to take a little bit of time, but we're committed to it. And um, we've already done so much. I, I think the, uh, the future is quite bright. Yeah, for me, I, I mean, I echo everything Steve says. Um, I, I think uh, we have a great deal of affinity, appreciation, and a sense of obligation to everybody that's been along this ride so far, to, to the global founders, as we're, we're now calling them. And I also think we would not be here pointed in a positive direction were it not for, for Steve's leadership, for... Uh, the vision of the founders for Christian Zige's steadfast uh, optimism and ambition and, um, on the sporting side. I would also have to recognize uh, many, many of the early investors that, that came back around to reconfirm their commitment uh, to this project in our, in our recent uh, time of need as we restructured, as we tried to learn some valuable and difficult lessons at times from, uh, from mistakes that, frankly, I think are, are pretty typical of um, 12, 18 months into to various startups. That's no excuse, but uh, obviously the hope is that we do learn and um, there is not uh, one penny, one phone call, uh, or one tweet that we do not take uh, 
with the utmost um, sincerity and uh, sense of, of purpose and obligation for the overall vision and ambition of this project. Yeah, nothing that has happened so far is possible without the fan owners, whether it's early investors, early WeFunder investors, everything that we've done, all those proof points I've mentioned were made possible by, by fan owners. Um, this, is, this is fan owned club and we got a lot of work to do, but we've made good progress and uh, mistakes have been made as, as Trey said, and, and uh, there are reasons, no excuses. We fix them and, uh, and we keep on moving forward. Thanks very much then to Steve Paris and Trey Fitzgerald, members of the board of directors at Fan Own Club, talking about some of the things that have gone on this season. We hope you've enjoyed the insight and got to know a little bit more about the club and uh, what's been going on behind the scenes in recent months. We will be back and the FCPS show will be back on a more regular basis through the winter to keep you up to date with the activities at the club. But aside from that, you've got the chance to listen to The Minority Report, a fan-run phone-in about all things FC Pinscale, Saalfelden and fan-owned club. And uh, if you join us on our social media channels, there's a Facebook page, Instagram, Twitter as well. If you keep with us on there, you're going to get all the latest activity, the latest photos, videos, and uh, some look backs as well to what's been going on this season. We've got highlights of all the games. We've got reruns of the games on our website too. Plenty of stuff to uh, try and keep you busy before new matches take place in 2021. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode of the FCPS show. We'll be back soon. This has been the FCPS show. It's recorded, produced and edited in Vienna, Austria for FC Pinskau Saalfelden. And if you're interested to find out more about Europe's unique fan-owned club model, then why don't you head on over to wefunder.com forward slash fan.owned.club and find out everything that you need to know about this incredible opportunity to become a part owner of a European soccer club.